Heaven, we are grateful for uh, your blessing, blessings to us. And that one of the chief blessings that we have, Lord, is the ability to read and study your word. You have not left us to figure things out on our own. You have given us uh, very detailed uh, communication from you, communicates your love for your people, communicates the, the plan of salvation that you have put in place. And Father, we want to be good students of that word. And so Lord, we, help, we ask that you would help us as we continue in our course seminar this morning on how to study the Bible, that you would give us grace that we might understand your scriptures, that we might desire to do it in order to invest the time and resources and energy into uh, the study of it. So Lord, we ask that you would bless our time this morning. Help us to just grow in our ability to, to know you better through your word. Thank you for what you have given to us. Thank you for Jesus, through him that we are saved. And we praise you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome to our second core seminar on how to study the Bible. Um, last week we began to learn the inductive method of Bible study. And if you'll remember, inductive simply means that we're working from the bottom up. right? We're setting out to study at the level of an individual passage. And we're going to let the details of the text help us determine what it means and how to apply it. As you're coming in, make sure you grab the handouts for today. There's actually several. Um, there's, a, there's the class notes, which is fairly typical. Um, there's, a, there's an extra sheet that mostly is for you to take home, although we're going to look at, we'll look at it on the screen today as well. It's a study, it's a study, uh, an inductive study of the, uh, the passage that we're going to look at today. And then there's a Bible study guide bookmark that I've put together to help uh, just remind you of the various uh, pieces of what an inductive, or as I used to call it when I was learning this method in college, we called it manuscript study, because we're basing it on the manuscript of the text. So uh, there's, a, there's a guide for you to remember the details of that. So go ahead and pick those up as you come in. By way of review, what are the three steps in an inductive or manuscript study? Anybody remember? And what was that? I heard somebody. Observations, Observations one, yeah. Another? Interpretation, I heard interpretation. And what was the third one? Does anybody remember? Application. Application, that's right. Observation, what does the text say? Interpretation, interpretation what does the text mean? And then application, what does the text mean for me? Or as I put it on this guide, what should I change, right? So we're talking about how we need to change ourselves in application. <clears throat> this morning we're going to move on to the third step. So last week we covered uh, uh, observation and interpretation. This morning we're going to move on to the third step, which is application. And re- the reality is we're going to spend most of our time actually putting the three steps together and studying a passage out of Philippians. But before we get to that, uh, we'll just talk about application for a couple minutes as a, as, a, as a discrete topic. So application is incredibly important. We may think that if we observe and interpret a biblical text well, then we've studied well. But unless we apply what we see to our lives, we're not actually accomplishing anything of great value. 
Our verse to remind you of the, of the value of application is found on the very first page of your handout, James 1, 22 through 24. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. And we don't want to do that, right? We want to be people who are looking at ourselves and looking at the, what the Word tells us about ourselves and understanding how it is that we need to change. I'm guessing that most of us don't actually spend time studying the Bible with the express purpose of not applying it to ourselves. So what are some of the things that keep us applying the Scriptures or keep us from applying them well? Number one, oftentimes we don't understand it. We need the observation interpretation first in order to be able to come to the conclusion of what good application is going to be. And number two, uh, we do not set aside enough time to think about how it connects to our lives. We need time. If you remember the, if you remember the, the story from our last session, Agassiz and the Fish, one of the things that Agassiz kept making his student do is spend time with the fish in order to be able to do the observation. We need time. Number three, we're often too tired or too distracted to draw good conclusions. We need to be able to have some time, we need to be able to have some focus to be able to understand the text and then really do the soul work of understanding how it applies to us. So we, if we're tired and distracted, we don't have the ability to do that. Number four, we're unwilling to consider sin in our lives. Right? So if we're not willing to look, again, that mirror that the Bible is going to put before us, if we're not willing to look in that mirror and see what we are really like, then our applications are not going to be very effective. They're either going to be off point, or we're not going to be willing to go where they're going to take us. Uh, five, we only apply Scripture individually rather than doing it with someone who may see things in our lives that we don't. This is why we do this is why we have home group Bible studies. One of the reasons one of the things we try to do is we try together as a group to apply the scriptures to ourselves. This is and this is, would be especially important in terms of finding a trusted friend or brother or sister who can work on the text with you as well. That can be that'll be a source of more personal input than maybe you, you might even get in the context of home group. And then finally number 6 we're not very introspective or honest about ourselves, so we have a hard time seeing how the passage might connect with what we are really like or what we are actually experiencing at the moment. So again, we need to be willing to do that soul work of looking in, inside and understanding who and what we are like. So our job for the next few minutes is to think about how we can apply Scripture well. And before we uh, practice on a passage from Philippians, we're going to do two things. We'll review some questions for application. These questions are going to be are in your notes, so you should be able to just follow along. And then, second, we're going to look at some overall guidelines for application. How is it that we apply well, even you know, once we've kind of got a framework for, for doing the application itself, we still need to do it well, and we're going to take a look at some guidelines for doing it well. So first, the questions. Here are some things you can ask yourself as you're studying a passage of Scripture. So just to put this in context, you've done your observation. 
You've done, you've done a good amount of work there. Uh, you've got a bunch of observations written down. You know what the text says. You've taken some time to say, what does it mean? What, was the, what is the main point that's being communicated or something like that? You've gotten those two things done. And now you're looking and saying, how do I understand what this has got to mean for me or for, or for my church? So here's some questions that you can ask. Does the passage point out any sin in my life? So is it putting its finger on something that I know that I'm doing wrong? Number two, does the passage have assumptions that I don't share? So this is getting at the idea of what might be happening underneath the text, right? There might, there might be things that Paul or the, or the author of the book, sorry, I said Paul because that's, that's the passage we're going to be looking at today, but the author of the text may be interacting on something at a surface level, but there's other things underneath it that form the assumptions. And do I share those assumptions, right? <clears throat> Number three, is there a command that I need to obey? Or number four, is there, is there an encouragement in this text? Sometimes we come to, the, come to the scriptures discouraged and we can find encouragement to walk the walk of faith uh, faithfully and well. And so we want to look for those encouragements that we might find in the text. Number five is kind of a similar idea. Is God making any promises or is, is, are there any promises being articulated in the text? Promises are great because if there's anything that we can pray with confidence, it's, pro- it's the promises of God, right? If he promises to do something and we pray for it, we know that he's going to answer that promise because he wants to do and he, w- and he will always do what he's promised to. Number six, does this passage teach me something about God? Is there something in here about God that I didn't know before? Or maybe it teaches me something about myself, about the nature and character of mankind. Maybe it exposes some um, you know, uh, area of my character, good or bad, right? It's not necessarily a bad thing that it might be uh, uh, revealing about myself, but does it show me something about me or about God? Number eight, what evidence for my faith does it give me? This is going to be helpful in, uh, in terms of thinking about this, right? If I need to be able to share my faith with somebody else, things that it shows me about my faith, things that I learn from the scriptures about the way faith works or about what God has done for us can be helpful in terms of sharing the gospel or in just in terms of uh, encouraging us in our walk. Number nine, uh, what will I do differently at, because of this text? So if I'm doing my Bible study in the morning, is there something about today that's going to be different from yesterday? And if so, what is that going to be? And, and understanding that and writing it down. Number 10, how can I model, share, or teach this truth to encourage others? This one's a little bit different. It's not so much drawing something specific out of the text, but it's saying, how is it that I can now take what I'm learning and, and participate in the body of Christ by encouraging somebody else with this truth? And number 11, how could my family or church apply this text? Similar idea, right? How is it that I can use this to bless the body or bless my family? 
So I've, included, so I've included all of these questions, plus even a few others on that card. Right? If you look at the bottom section of the front side of that card, you'll see some prompts for uh, application. And on the back, there's uh, some kind of some additional, more detailed questions. So there's going to only fit so much there. So if, you're lo- if you want to review these, they're on that card. They're in your notes as well. Um, as you come to your, to your passage and want to apply it, that would be the place you would go to review what we've just talked about. Questions on those? Okay, we'll think about that more and we'll have some more time for for interaction and questions in a few minutes. So I also promised some guidelines to help us to apply Scripture well. So number one, I've got five. and You've got the titles written down there. Number one is uh, pray first. I mentioned this in the last class, but it's it's worth repeating. The scripture says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That's Romans 8, 7. And that's what we are apart from God's grace, right? We are not able to even understand what the law of God says. And if we want to do that, uh, even as believers, we need help. And the help that we need comes from the Holy Spirit, and we access the Holy Spirit through prayer. So we need to pray for spiritual insight to see truth in, his God's, in, tr- truth in His Word. So you might pray something like this from Psalm 119.18 when you open up God's Word. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wondrous things out of Your law. Right? So our desire is to understand, and we know we need that help, so we're going to go to the Lord to ask for that help. So pray first. Number two, make time to think. Sometimes when you're doing your study... Your kids might be screaming, maybe you didn't get much sleep, and all you can do is grab a few minutes in God's Word and prayer. That's fine, but we would all do well to frequently have enough time to let God's Word really weigh on our hearts. Paul encourages Timothy to think over all that he says in 2 Timothy 2.7. Think over what I say, Paul says, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So again, make time, set that time aside so that you have the ability to really soak on the Word. Again, that's getting back to that Agassiz and the fish idea, right? Spending time with the subject in order to be able to, in order to, be able to understand it well. Write, number three, write things down. For many of us, we think best as we write. In today's day and age, in today's culture, I'm guessing we don't actually believe that. But if we write things down, it cements things in our brain in a different kind of a way than if we just run it over in our minds uh, a few times. So write it down. Whether that's if you've got a copy of the manuscript and you're writing all over it, write things in the margins, writing in the margins of your Bible, having a journal next to you to write it down. However that works for you, write it down, and that will help you remember, especially the application portion, that will help you to remember what it is that you thought you should do as a result of what you've read and studied. Number four, talk with somebody else. Okay, So make sure that you're thinking about your study of God's Word and making it a regular topic of discussion with your spouse, with your kids, your Christian friends. Invite others to help you to interpret and apply God's Word to your life. We don't always see everything. 
We don't always do it right, and that conversation can really be helpful in terms of understanding whether or not I'm applying God's Word well. And our brothers and sisters can be, in Christ can be a real help to, to doing that by providing that sounding board or just supplying new ideas that maybe we didn't even see. Right? Uh, and number five, listen. Sometimes after you've spent time in the text on your own, it can be good to listen to what someone else has thought about it. Sermons are often best for this. Uh, you can download sermons from our church website on many passages of Scripture. There's other places that we can, we can talk about, about places online where you can download sermons from trusted people. If you like John Piper, he's got tons of sermons. You, look, you search his website for, almost, for, for most passages of Scripture and you'll probably find something. Um, you know, so those are, those are places you can get uh, input from people who've already thought deeply about this. Uh, you could also buy, uh, there are places where you can buy printed sermons. You can buy whole books of sermons by John Calvin, for example. So if you like John Calvin, you can buy whole books of his sermons. Same thing for C, uh, Charles Spurgeon. You can buy whole books of his sermons, and you can read them if you'd like. So that's a place you can get it. And another good source is a passage-by-passage passage devotional book, like Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon, uh, or a, a newer one is For the Love of God by D.A. Carson. They're going to take and their, their desire is to apply particular passages of Scripture in a systematic kind of a way over time. So those are places where you can get uh, input on uh, what other people have thought about the Scriptures and how they've gone through applying it. Um, so with that said, we're going to take the rest of our time together and study a passage from Philippians. You'll see it in your notes. But before we get to that, are there any questions about what I've said so far? Yeah, Dave. When you talk about assumptions in here, uh, that I don't share, I mean, are those like things that are going on at the time the scripture was written? Right. Um, that would be more in the category of observation in my mind. I think the assumptions that we might may or may not share, I'll take one that might be applicable to somebody who's coming to the scriptures fresh, right? Jesus is God. That's a, that's there, that's an assumption that's underneath a lot of that's underneath the entire scripture, right? The entire New Testament. Jesus is actually God. That's an assumption. It's not often talked about. But for, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody new and this is the first time they're reading the Bible, that may be an assumption that they wouldn't share, right, with the scripture. So um, it get, when you're talking about that, it's like, why did Paul conclude what he concluded when he was saying X in this passage? So. I don't know that I, that seems kind of, I'm not so sure about that. Check the assumptions and try to understand why he might be saying what he was. And, you know, we're going to talk more about these kinds of things in a future class, but things like commentaries and other study helps will be helpful at getting at those. BJ. Or how about the assumption that uh, suffering is bad? Right. We just assume suffering is bad. Yes. The Bible doesn't. Ex ex excellent, excellent uh, observation there. Yeah. We, that's another one. There's, and there's all kinds of things that fall into that category. And it's good for us to be poking at those so that we're not mis misapplying what the scripture is telling us. Yeah. Sonia, do you have a question? Mm -hmm. But if you're reading a bunch, like one chapter of this, one chapter of that, you know what I mean? Like, 
Sure. Yeah, good question. So I think the, the thing that to recognize there that our Bible reading is not really what we're covering here. Um, it might be. The two might overlap. But it's not very likely that um, any of us, at least in today's day and age, are going to have time to take all four of those passages, sit down and with the, a manuscript, observe all of the things in those passages, do an interpret, figure out what the interpretation of all those passages are, and then apply every single one of them. Right? We're just not going to have time to do that. Um, but you might pick one of them. Right? You might pick your New Testament passage and say, you know, this, there was something in this. I, I detect something here. You might pick that for further study. Right. So but you're but the, the reading that you're talking about, really, when you're talking about reading the Bible in a year, that's the kind of plan you're talking about. That's the, the goal there is I'm looking at general familiarity. What are the big contours of the scriptures? Right. What we're talking about here is what does a particular text say and mean? So I'm digging deep here and not necessarily staying at that more 10,000 foot view. So the goals are a little different although they might overlap in terms of the passages. On that, though, if you want to see how to apply something like that, D.A. Carson's For the Love of God is actually a good, is a good resource because he often will take, he doesn't do it all the time, but often in those he takes threads from all four of those passages and connects them together and weaves them together in what he's saying. So that's, so that, in terms of how you might try to do some application from, a, from across Scripture like that, that would be an example of, of how you might synthesize some stuff. Yeah. Good question. Others? All right. All right. So we are going to uh, spend the rest of our time uh, practicing. We're going to do a little bit of observation. We're going to do a little bit of interpretation. I'll help us along with that. And we're going to do, and then we're going to do some application on a, this passage from uh, Philippians chapter two. Um, so for now, uh, don't don't pull out for now the the big sheet. Just, just we're just going to look at the at the notes, and we're just going to read it first. Uh, so that'll be the first thing to do. But before we do that, let me open up in prayer. So as we come to study this this text, Father in heaven, we want to know you well, and we want to ask that you would bless our time looking at this passage from Philippians chapter 2. We would ask that you would open our eyes to your word, that you would help us to see things in it that we have not seen before, that you would teach us about uh, Jesus and about the way your church works and about the way we are to live our lives today. We thank you, Lord, for the time that we have to study. We ask for your blessing on it and, and pray for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could just get one volunteer just to quickly read this text out loud for us. We won't go all the way around. I want, I want us to go a little, bit, a little bit quickly here, but if I could get one person just to read. Matt, that would be great. Read the whole thing, nice and loud. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with you. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. 
Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give Thanks, Matt. So, uh, quickly, we're going to just talk about context for a minute, right? Context helps us to determine meaning, so we want to get a broader sense of what's going on. Uh, any ideas of what the genre of the book of Philippians might be? We haven't talked about genre yet, but anybody, any ideas about what it might be? It's an epistle, which is a fancy word for a letter. That's right. So, this is a letter to, from Paul to a group of people. Good. Uh, and I just gave away the second one. The author is the Apostle Paul, right? Uh, who's the audience? Who's he writing to? The people in Philippi. Which, which, which people specifically? The church, right? We're talking about the church in Philippi. For those of you, and again, a, a study Bible would give you this information. Philippi is a town in Macedonia, which is also known as modern-day Greece. Um, we can see the formation of that church in Acts 16. And Paul visits, visits them for a second time on his third missionary journey in Acts 20. These would be things that might be revealed by your column notes or by study Bible notes. You'd be, you'd be able to see those connections. Or if you've been reading the book of Acts recently, you might pick up on them yourself. Right? Uh, this letter is part thank you, part exhortation and warning, and part hopeful plans. So those are the kinds of things that are going on over the course of the letter. Um, and in terms of locating our passage within the letter, uh, what's already been said in chapter 2? Um, the, the, the main thrust of what's been happening up until now in chapter 2 is Christ humbling himself, and so therefore we should humble ourselves as well. It's kind of a main theme of chapter 2, and that kind of sets us up for where we are, uh, we are here. So let's do a little bit of observation. And I'm going to put up uh, the, the kind of the cue sheet here on the screen so we can kind of see it. Hopefully that's big enough. Um, if not, you've got, it, you've got a copy of the sheet. I wanted to show you because we may refer to colors and stuff like that and, that, and your sheets aren't in color. So observation. Let's just throw some things out. Who are the, pe- who are the main people in this passage? Paul. Yep. Timothy. Timothy. Epaphroditus. Who's you? The Philippians. Good. Yep. God. God specifically in Jesus. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, Paul, Philippians, Timothy, Paphroditus. Uh, there's also someone, you know, possibly in everyone uh, in verse 21. Um, hard to know exactly what that's. That, that one might be a, one of the trickier uh, interpretation pieces that we might have to go over in a minute. Okay, so what's going on in the passage? Think about circumstances. What's, what do we have revealed anyway in this passage about what's going on uh, in the context? He's not with the Philippians. Good. Where, where, do, we, where do we think he probably is? Prison, right? Again, our, our study Bibles or other notes might be most helpful here. Yeah. Good. Other things? Okay. Yep. Timothy and Paul seem to be together. What else is going on? Paul's regularly communicating with these people. Okay. How? Uh, well, through the letter, but a 
Epaphroditus, right. So Epaphroditus is kind of going back and forth between them, right? So that's something that, that's some of the what's happening here. Yep. What else? Paul expresses his confidence in Okay. Paul's confident in Timothy. Yep. Anything in terms of, so think terms of desires, think terms of um, uh, actions that are being proposed, think in terms of, these are all in the what category, what's going on. Paul wants to send Timothy to the church. He's not actually sending him though, is he? Okay. He hopes to. Is there anybody he's actually sending? Epaphroditus, right? He's actually sending Epaphroditus back. Yeah. Yep. Good. Paul also wants to visit, right? That's his desire. Um, other things about what's happening. What's, what's happening with Epaphroditus? What are some of the things that happened with him? He was sick. He was sick. Yep. Almost died. Almost died. Good. Good. What about when these things are taking place? When, when is this happening? Any, anything that we get from the text about the when of things? So who, what, where, when, why, how, right? Those are the questions we're trying to answer. Sixty AD, which would be after the church was established, right? So we have a church. We have a church to write to, right? Um, it's after Epaphroditus visits Paul, right? Because he's in the process of sending Epaphroditus back, right? In fact, as, we, as far as we know, it's probably Epaphroditus that carried this letter back with him. Before Paul's cases. Okay. Right? So Paul's still going to be in prison, so we don't necessarily, he's not free to come. That's, and that's he, he hopes to be freed, but he's not there yet. So that's, that, would, that gives us a sense of when this is happening. Yeah. Okay, so where are these people according to the text? We talked about Paul's in jail. Where, where, where else are these people? We've maybe tapped on a couple of these, but. The, people, the, the Philippians are in Macedonia, yes. What was that? Did I hear somebody? Paul's in Rome. Paul's in Rome. Okay. In, and in jail, right? But he's, he's in jail in Rome. Yep. Say that again. Epaphroditus is an interesting one. He's probably, he could be in both places, right? Because he's, he's in Rome. Obviously, Paul saw him, but Paul is sending him back. Right, so there's so he's kind of in transit maybe, or <clears throat> in terms of the text, you know, he's he's coming back. Paul is sending him. Yep, yep. Seems that Timothy is also in Rome, correct? Timothy would also have to be in Rome. That's right, because Timothy is with Paul, ministering to Paul at, at that at that time. Yep, yep. So why does Paul write this section of the letter? What well, what are his motivations? What are his purposes? Why is why is all this why is there all this sending and going going on? Um, and you know we're doing some observation here, but with the why question, keep in mind we always get an, a little bit into interpretation as well. You know why is kind of an interpretive question uh, in addition to maybe some observation. So why does Paul write this? What what is his purpose? 
in saying these things. Okay, he, wa- he wants encouragement about how the Philippians are doing, right? So he's looking to elicit that coming back. Good, yeah. What other things? Yeah, he's, 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 Paul is expressing thanks. Yeah, yep. Good. Could you also say that it's, you know, it's an endorsement, for example, of Timothy. You can trust Timothy. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yep, yep. Yes, at least, at least certainly at the time of the writing of the, when Paul is actually writing it down, Epaphroditus is there, well. But what do we know about what the Philippians do know about Epaphroditus? That he was really sick, right? And so they're concerned about him. Yeah, yeah, good. Good, other, other things about what, why Paul might have written these things? Concern about false teachers? Where are you seeing that? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. It's certainly by way of contrast to Timothy. Yep. Yep, good. Mm-hmm. Yep, I've always kind of thought that would be a, you know, I got, I, I contracted some illness in my journey, almost died, you know, I'm, I'm in the service of the Lord, and he almost died in some sense like that, yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is Timothy the only example that he sets up? Yeah, Epaphroditus. I mean, I think you've got two examples being laid out in this in this passage of what does faithful service to the Lord look like, right? In two different ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you look in verses 26 and 28, right, um, where is it, uh, 26, you know, he's distressed and, you know, he's got sorrow upon sorrow if he, if, if, you know, so there's lots of there is lots of emotional words being being shared here in terms of Paul uh, being engaged with these people. Yeah. So how are how are Timothy and, Epaphrod- and Epaphrodite similar to one another? In what ways are they similar? Say that again. They're both serving Paul. Yep. Brothers and fellow workers in the faith. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're both under Paul's authority. Good. Yep. Yep. 
messengers. Yeah, because Paul, Paul is sending Epaphroditus as a messenger. He wants to send Timothy as a messenger and have a messenger back. Yep. Yep, good. They're, they're not going to let anything get in their way. There's a sense of that, sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. One of the ways that we can do good observation is that we can look for uh, a list of things, right? So let's, let's take a look at a couple of those. What are, uh, what are some examples that Paul lists of bad shepherding? It's in the context of Timothy. Looking out for their own interests. interests. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Yep. Another list, what are some of the things that uh, Paul says Epaphroditus uh, does? What are some of the, the roles that he fills? He's a worker, a soldier, yep. a messenger. Yep. Just cluing you in, right? There's, when you see lists like that, those are good things to just make note of because they may come, they may come either, either into your interpretation or your application. Good. Those are all, those are all good things. Like Agassiz and the fish, I'm sure there's lots more that we could get if we were to spend more time, right? Um, so let's, let's move on and talk about interpretation for a minute. What do you think this passage means? And one way to get at that is, for, is to summarize the passage uh, in, a, in, a, in a sentence or maybe a, 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 little, a little more. What, do you guys, what would somebody say is the, is the main thrust of what Paul is saying in this section? There's so a lot of logistics going on. Yeah, Timothy will go at some point, Epaphroditus is going, um, kind of giving them helpful information. Mm-hmm. The, right. So Paul's purpose is encouragement, either through sending somebody who they thought was sick back or through, you know, bolstering them through news about Timothy. Setting Timothy up as an example. Other thoughts about what the what this means. How do we understand what Paul is is saying here? Okay, give honor to whom honor is due. This could be a, a dimension of it. Yes. Yep. Beginning to cross over into application there. Yes? Did, uh, BJ? Seems like he's given a lot of information, but then in 29, he kind of gets to his bottom line. He wants yeah. these guys to be welcomed with great joy and honor. Right. Right. Honoring those who serve the Lord well, I think, is a main idea that underlies all of the pieces that are in this text. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of put it like this. I want to send Timothy so I can hear how you're doing, but I need him so I can't. 
but I will send Epaphroditus so you can see how he is. Honor them for the work that they do for me and for you. That's kind of the way that I kind of distilled down what this passage is trying to say. So that's interpretation. Obviously, we could do more work there. Uh, there you know, takes, the, the observation takes time. Out of that is going to flow your understanding of what the text says. Do you want to spend a few minutes before we're done thinking about application? How do we apply a text like this? And if you want, if you want to look at um, the cue card that I, that I did for you guys, there, you can see what the, the, kind of the application questions are. These are general application questions. Obviously, when we're doing a Bible study in home group, we've come up, BJ specifically has come up with specific application questions for us. You can always do that. But these ones are general, and we'll just, so we'll just focus on these. Are there truths about God, truths about me, commands to obey, attitudes to change, um, you know, sin to confess, examples to follow or avoid, those are all things that we can be looking at in a text for how do we apply it. So how do we take this idea of honoring those who serve the Lord well and apply it to ourselves? Ryan. Okay, taking action. Any, any specific context that this passage would suggest about, about, what that, about what that action should look like or how it should be? Whereas if we see, uh, we could say, okay, I see a need, um, you know, the, the local VFW needs somebody to fold and stuff envelopes, and I'm going to go fill that need. Is that the kind of need we're talking about here? <laughs> BJ. I have to say that's a far secondary or tertiary one. I agree. Because his purpose is writing to the church. Exactly. To yes. Those who are in the church. Yep. The church. Right. So um, I think that service is high on the list here, but it's service to the church, to Christ, that we're concerned about here. Um, and that's the thing that's being commended. Right. Right. Look at the example of Paul, who's in prison, Timothy, who is diligently serving, and Epaphras, who almost died on, on behalf of this ministry. Right. Right. So you, I, I see. I see two specific realms going on here. Right. You have Timothy, who's serving at, at a at a leadership and you know pastoral level. Right. And we need people to do that. Um, not just, say, B.J., who's a pastor, but we all need to be working with one another in terms of preaching the gospel to one another, teaching in context, looking to take that on. But you also have Epaphroditus, who is more at, much more at the, okay, the church needs something done. I need a letter carried. Okay, I'm going to go carry that. And it doesn't really matter whether that's going to harm me or you know, if there's risks involved in that, whatever that looks like, if the church needs it, I'm willing to do it, right? And I think that's a, a good mode or a good thread for application. And, you know, obviously, the, you know, we're talking somewhat generally here, but, um, you know, as you think about this, what does this look like for you? You know, very personal application is appropriate. You know, am I, am I willing to serve the church? You know, coming out of Epaphroditus, right? At inconvenience to me, 
What am I willing to, how, in what ways am I personally willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of serving the church? Um, you know, what am I willing to learn in order to be a guy like Timothy? Might be ways of uh, tackling personal application there. What about the honor idea? Right? The other, the other dimension of this was not just, you know, those are examples to follow. Right? We got the example of Timothy, the example of Epaphroditus. How is it that we can digest that for ourselves? The other dimension of what's going on here is honoring people who do these things. How do we, how can we apply that in our context or in our lives? Prayer. Okay, praying, praying for our people. Right. Yes. Yes. Praying for, praying for BJ. I mean, he prepares a sermon for us every week. You know, he's functioning in that Timothy role. Praying for BJ to, 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 to have insight into the word. Yeah. Other thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. Right. And how do we how do we apply a thought like that to ourselves? And that's a good that's a good interpretive thread, right? You're 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 interpreting the text well there, but what is what is it that we can do in terms of application there? Sure. Or we can, or we can just recognize that we need to trust the Lord, right? When we see when we see clues about God's sovereignty, we need to be. That's a clue to us to be saying, "I need to be trusting the Lord with whatever's happening in my life." Well, good. We're 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 at ten fifteen. So hopefully that was a helpful exercise to you guys to begin to see how we're putting some of this stuff together, how we're organizing the observation, interpretation, and then finally the application. Obviously, this was very short. I have plans to do more of these along the way, so um, hopefully those will be helpful. Um, we don't have a lot of time. We don't have time for questions today, but if you do have questions, bring them to, to, to next week. We'll take a minute and we'll just talk about any questions you have about how to do this inductive study method. We're going to be moving on to another topic next week. Um, and not spend, we're going to be, so we're going to be leaving this inductive study. But uh, if you have questions about that, bring them and we can, we can make sure to handle those. So, good. Let me pray for us as we close. Father in heaven, we are grateful to you for what we have learned today. Lord, may we walk away from this class and from our worship service today as changed people. And we thank you for all that you have blessed us with in terms of your word and understanding it better. We thank you. We ask for your blessing on our service. And we uh, are grateful for all that you've done. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.